Thank you. Well, good morning. Man, I think, are you guys ready for the Word of God? I mean, I just felt like this is amazing, like just passion coming out of you guys this morning when we were praising God. And uh, I, I just, before we get into the sermon, I just want to uh, continue to respond to that heart of praise. Like, how many you know that there is power in your praise? Like we could feel good and we could feel all right about God, but when we say it, demons tremble. I believe that when we say it from our mouths and when we believe it in our hearts, I believe that things happen and atmosphere changes. We turn this place, it's an ordinary room, into a heavenly sanctuary. And I felt that this morning. And so I feel like we need a little, just a little more response in our praise. Because I believe that maybe for some of us, we have, uh, our praise has a little dust on it. You know what I'm talking about? It's been a while since we've engaged in the spirit of praise. And I'm not here to like down on you. I'm, I'm just giving you an opportunity right now to just, to just continue to exercise that muscle of praise. So I want us to do something. I want you to think back in this past week, and I want you to think about something specific that God did for you this week. How did God show you a little bit of grace this week? You know, how did God do? Maybe it came from a random act of kindness Maybe it came from just you getting on your knees before God and feeling like your prayer life is a little stale, and yet you got on your knees and you felt the presence of God so close to you that you could feel him breathe, or anywhere in between. But can we just take a moment? I think God has been so good, right? I mean, come on, this is something that I love saying here, but I really want to believe it. You know, God is good all the time. Has he been good this week? Oh, man, before we get into the sermon to hear God's word, let's, let's think about that. So if you could just close your eyes for a moment so that you can think of that thought, think of that moment, think about that moment of grace this week. I've had many friends. I've had many this week. God has been so, so good to me. Come on, whatever it is. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, say praise to God in your, in your own voice right now. Thank him for that moment. Thank him for those moments. Thank him for that extra grace this week to get it, get through it, whatever that is. Come on, just come on, praise him. Praise him. His name is Jesus. He is the answer. He is our God. He is our faithful one. He is faithful and true. He's trustworthy, friends. Come on, say, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, thank you for getting me through. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit that I am not alone in all things. Lord, I have you by my side. <laughs> That's just a few things to praise him. We love you, God. We pray, God, that together as we come into a place like this, God, that that we don't go through the, emo the emotions of this day, but Lord, but we actually go ready to learn, go ready to receive, ready to act out what you put on our hearts. You're a God on mission. Lead us to your mission. Help us to be faithful to that mission. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for just having that moment with me. Man, that was just good stuff. We're just so thankful to have a place like this to come to. Not many places in this world have gatherings like this. Let's never take that for granted. Well, we are closing out our series in the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy, we entitled it Things to Fight For. Things to Fight For. Last week, if you were here, we got into chapter 3. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue on 
in chapter 3, but we read Paul's warning. Last week, I talked a lot about what it meant to be in the last days, and Paul is warning us about what will happen in the last days. He describes it as times that will be difficult. He said there will be some difficult times. There will be some terrible times, and he's given Timothy these instructions to be ready for it, to be prepared for it, to not get distracted, to not try to get caught up in the arguments of the day, the things that don't really matter in light of eternity. So he's saying, stay the course, stay alert, stay focused. You know, in the beginning of chapter 3, he gives off this list of 19 things that can corrupt our character. And he warns us to always have this open and broken heart before God that we ought to allow God to always work these things in our hearts, that it's not about, you know, their problem and, and, and them and us, but it's about all of us coming before God, being open and broken and saying, God, I need your help today. Like, I have a lot of issues in my life, and I'm open. He warns us that if we're not that way, and we try to uh, push things aside, and we don't want to confront those ugly issues in our hearts, then we become a person that becomes a hypocrite. We become the person who, who looks good on the outside, but inside we're like dead man's bones. A religious spirit can come upon us, and that's a stench to the world. But he says, don't be like them. Don't be like those that don't have an open and broken heart before God. This entire series, there is this, there is this big message in every book of the Bible, but I believe that in this whole book, you can wrap it up with one sentence, and it's this. It's fight for the truth. Fight for the truth. Hold on to the gospel that saved you. Oh, we have an amazing gospel, don't we? Hold on to it. Hold on to it. It's really the, the, the call and exhortation that Paul has given to Timothy. He says, hold on to it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Timothy, if you haven't already, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 6. And in this passage, in this verse, he's given a warning here, another warning to be careful to listen to the right voices. How many know that there is other voices out in the world, but Jesus tells us this. He says, my sheep will know my voice. There will be one voice among many. And you got to stay focused, and you got to listen to the right voices. You know, Jesus warned us in his and his time with his disciples, he warned us about these last days. And one of the warnings about these last days is that there will be some false teachers. There will be some false things about God, about the Bible. And he says, you got to be ready for that. You got to be prepared. You got you to understand truth. You have to be settled on truth. Later, actually, in, in chapter 4, Timothy or Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, listen to this, it's chapter 4, verse 3. He says, people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they would instead turn to myths. Wow. Now, Paul is warning Timothy about, about these other voices. But you have to understand truth, Timothy. You have to be grounded in truth because there's going to be people that will challenge this truth, this gospel that saved you. You see here in verse 6 in chapter 3, where we're picking up this morning, Paul says this about these false teachers. He says, he says they, are all kind, they are the kind who worm their way into homes. I like how he uses that word. You get that, right? That picture. Ew, gross, right? That's what you're thinking. <laughs> And gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds 
of evil desires. Now listen, I don't want the ladies to be mad at me this morning, okay? (laughs) Before I upset any of you, I want you to understand a little context. You have to understand that context is so important in studying the Word of God. See, when this was written, in this era, in this time, in the early church, women were very restricted and limited in what they can do in education and in the marketplace, especially when it comes to places of worship. See, in the ancient world, when people would go and worship their deity to do some religious acts and duties, they would have to go to a place, a temple, a mosque. And even in the, you see that in the, in the temple in Jerusalem, God's people, there was, there was a place for the women and a place for the men. Women were only allowed to go to certain parts of this temple. We know that through Jewish customs and, his, and historians tell us that a lot of these young Jewish boys, they were, they were brought up learning the word of God up to the age of 12. And not all girls had that opportunity. Now, I say not all of them. It was very rare if a woman, a young girl, would be able to be brought up understanding scripture and learning the Hebrew uh, language uh, written and, and able to read it. But there was some rare occasions. There are some some facts, historical facts, that there was some occasions where women were allowed to own property, they were allowed to be in office uh, in the community, to hold an office in community, they were allowed to, to uh, be part of, of, uh, of education. But it was very, very rare. See, what you have to understand, though, is that Christianity, they, it dramatically changed the shift in that culture. Yeah, you have to understand this. You can see it in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus. It's amazing. Jesus dramatically leveled the playing field. See, Christian communities, uh, they allowed women to be disciples. Uh, Christian communities allowed women to come in. I mean, you see that in Jesus' ministry. He brought Mary in to sit as a place of a scholar where women were allowed to hear the teachings and learn from these apostles and these church leaders. You have to understand, this was radical in this early century. I mean, you see this in Jesus. Jesus broke so many cultural barriers involving women. Jesus protected women. Jesus empowered women. Jesus honored women publicly. He released the voice of women. He confided in women. Remember at the the Easter, we're going to celebrate Easter soon. I mean, he had this big message, and who did he confide that in? Women. He was funded by women. He celebrated women by name. He learned from women, and he respected women, and he spoke of women as an example to follow. That's our Jesus. And these apostles who were following Jesus for three and a half years, they, they, they caught on to that. And so now they're leading the church, this early church, and they're just continuing to do what Jesus taught them on how to treat women. Now, Churches in that day, the early church, they didn't have these great buildings that we can gather in today. Where did they gather? They gathered in homes. They gathered in homes. And what's amazing to me is that these early Christians, these first churches were in these homes and they were mixed. They were brought together and they were listening together and learning together. So the issue that Paul's talking about, what he's identifying here, what he's warning Timothy about, is that what was happening is that there was these false teachers There was these guys that would come in, and they would go into these house churches and these home groups, and they would would come in, and they would would pray on those that were new to the faith, 
that weren't ever given an opportunity to learn, and they had some probably some knowledge of some, some worldly philosophies, and they had enough scripture, and they would mix it together, and they were taking advantage of these people. They would show up, and they would say, hey, I have this insight that nobody else has. So you got you to gotta let me come in, and you got to let me, and, and, and they just took advantage of the hospitality of these people. And unfortunately, it was the people that were new to the faith or were not properly educated in scripture or philosophy. They took advantage of these communities' uh, hospitality and generosity. So Paul's urging Timothy to watch out for these wolves in sheep's clothing. And you see that in the epistles where there's a constant uh, warning about not allowing these people to come in and dilute the gospel. Because what they were doing is they were taking the philosophy of the day, mixing it in with the word of God, and then adding some cultural superstition. And they were trying to mix up this weird, confusing, distorted gospel. And so Paul's urging Timothy, he says, you got to be ready for this. you got to be ready. This is how Paul describes these guys. He says, they are always learning, this is verse 7, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. You know, this reminds me of the day and the culture we live in today, Right? We have so much information in the palm of our hands. I mean, we can type in one word on the internet, and we can come up with hundreds of thousands of things about that. We have so much information, but we can't agree on one truth, right? And that's what he's saying. He says that these people, that they're always searching. See, the trend in Timothy's days was that people would gather together, and they would like to sit around, and they would, they would just debate philosophy, and, and, and they were never really trying to come up with a conclusion. They were just trying to talk. They were never interested in coming to an absolute. They were entertaining everything and anything and every thought around, but they never wanted to come in agreement to a single truth. This tells me that people have not changed in 2,000 years, right? It reminds me of a time when when I was a youth pastor. um, I uh, took our students to a conference in Olympia. It was a pretty big conference about five, six hundred kids, and, uh, and so we get, went to this conference, and the people who, who ran this conference, they had this idea. They thought, what if we end this conference with, with a big old, like, evangelistic service? And they even rented out one of the college stadiums and, 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 and arenas, and, and, and so it was really exciting, and, they, and what they decided to do is that in the middle of the conference, they wanted to take all the students in the conference after they pumped us up and got us ready, and they said, okay, we're going to have these buses, you're going to jump on the buses, and we're going to strategically put you in all places around the city, and you're going to invite everybody that you see to this conference. And so the time came, buses showed up. And I just jumped on a bus, and the next thing I know, my, my students and I are we're heading up to Capitol Lake. And so we get there, and we start walking around, and we're, you know, we're going to invite people to this, this event. It was pretty exciting. We had a guy coming in, and he's going to be a great speaker, whatnot. Well, my team kind of split up, and I saw one group go this way, and we went this way. And I started seeing that this group that left, they, they started engaging with about 15, 20 college students, or, or students, or young adults. And, and they were having a really good conversation, and things were going good. So as a youth pastor, I was like, hmm, I'm going to go check this out. So I walk over there, and as I walk over there, I'm listening to the conversation. And, and it's really cool because if you look at the body language and the demeanor, I mean, these, these, these young adults, they were nodding their heads. They were listening to our kids. Our kids were telling them about Jesus, and they are like, yeah, that's awesome. We like Jesus. Jesus is great. And then they were saying, yeah, you know, Jesus will do this, and Jesus will do that. And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Even one of them raised his hand and said, hey, I want to accept Jesus right now into my heart. 
oh, man, I saw one of my kids' chest puff up. You know, they're ready for this moment. And they go, and, 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 and we start to talk, and, and, and my kids are feeling good, and we're kind of we're there. And, and then all of a sudden, I start asking more questions. I start digging a little deeper. And I find out that these young adults were like, well, you know, we, we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe that Jesus is the way. You know, we, 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 we like to think about Jesus, and we think that he's a good guy, and there's some good things to learn, but we don't think that he is the truth. And so I sat down, and I started telling them, like, no, Jesus is God. And I started to break down who Jesus is and, and what he's done and, and how he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And all of a sudden, I just saw them clam up, and they started pulling back, and they started crossing their arms, and they started getting, like, clenching their, 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 their mouth, and, they, you know, they got angry. And they just didn't like the fact that I was saying that he was the only way. It changed everything. We still invited them. We still loved them. But they didn't want to accept that Jesus. I think there's a lot of people like that today, right? Just like these, these, these students. You know, to them, Jesus was just another thing to believe in and to explore, but it wasn't the only way. It wasn't the full truth, and it certainly wasn't the way to eternal life. You know, that's when I realized that they didn't really understand who Jesus is wow. and what he really stood for. I think we find people like that today always wanting to learn but never wanting to come to a conclusion. Always looking for more information but not wanting to accept truth. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to learn more, right? Like, one of the things that I love to do is I'm always a lifelong learner, so I'll bring people that are opposite of me, think different from me, and I like to sit at that table, and I like to talk, and I learn a lot. But I'll tell you, I never go into that place not settled on what I believe, not having a conviction. See, I have to trust that my convictions are shaped under a truth, that there is a standard, that these aren't just feelings that I have. This isn't just something that I brought, was brought up in, but I searched myself and I hold on to this truth. And there's only one thing, my friends, that can give you that, that has that much authority that could shape your life. There's only one thing that has that much authority that you could stand on, and that is the word of God. How do I know that? Because later on in this book, Timothy is saying, all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right? There's only one thing that can have that much authority. You probably heard this saying before. It says, it says, if you don't stand for anything, you will fall for any or everything. Right? Let me say that again. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. There you go. Uh, it's so true, especially today. I think the big question this morning is this, is that our, is our convictions... Are they set by our creator or our culture? Because our culture will change. It has, and it will in the future. But you've got to be set on what the creator said, right? What has been tested through time. You have to believe the whole Bible, my friends. You've got to believe the entire thing. You've got to believe that it is God-breathed, God-inspired, that it was given to us, that this is not a normal book. But you've got to believe that this is the essence of life given, is living and active. You got to come to that conclusion on your own in order to live under its full authority and blessing. Right? You got to settle that. Because that's what that's what Paul's trying to tell Timothy. He says, in order for you to hold on to these last days, in order for you to stand strong in these last days, you got to be convinced that this is the truth. That this is the way, that this is the life. 
And I think that there's this culture today that is, it, it has a bunch of, it has this philosophy that, that uh, anything goes, right? That, that you just do you, boo, right? Like you just want to do what you want. If it feels good, if it's right, if it doesn't hurt anybody, you're just good. You're good. You're good. We have a culture and a philosophy today that says, you know what? Sin, the things that the Bible calls sin, you know, that, that's just a religious construct to try to get people scared and fearful and controlled. We know different. We know the consequences of sin. We know that sin doesn't just stay in one person's life and one person's heart, but we know the destruction of sin, yeah. right? We don't have to be very uh, uh, um, into the Bible to know that. We see the consequences of it all the time. It doesn't just stay with one person. And I think deep inside, people don't understand that. They said, you know, that philosophy of you just doing everything you feel, doing anything you want, we know that that's not, I mean, people in the world, they get it. They're starting to see that the emperor has no clothes. They're like, that's not, that's not something to hold on to. The thing that it promised me isn't happening. I believe the world's seeing that. I believe that they're understanding that. But they're still running from trend and thought to try to bring more fulfillment, more happiness, searching to embrace any philosophy out there that's going to promise them peace, love, joy, and fulfillment and purpose in their life. But we know that that can only happen through life in Christ. Right? you got to have a new heart. Things that only come from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling Timothy, he's like, you got to hold on to the gospel that saved you. you got to hold on to it. You can't change it. You can't allow somebody to dilute it. You can't have somebody come against it. But you got to stand firm. Yeah. You remember the gospel that saved you? Come on. How many remember that day? Somebody was bold enough to share the gospel, the full gospel to you. What's the full gospel? Is that we all fall short of God's glory. No matter what background you're in, no matter what you came from, you, Jesus died for you. Not just for the pretty, not just for the rich, but for everyone, right? That's the gospel, right? That he came, that, that, that he loved us so much that he sent. You know, God knows that we all fall short of sin, but he didn't leave us that way. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come in the form of, of, of man so that he could die the death that we, could, that, that we should have died. I mean, just think about the gospel. You want to up your prayer life? Start saying the gospel out loud. Start your prayer life with just talking about what Jesus did for you that he took your sin, that he died on the cross for you. And we know that that's not the end of it, but he was the perfect sacrifice to be an atonement for us, to have this new life once and for all. And on the third day, he rose again. And that was proof that what he did, what he said, was finished, was complete. Now everybody who believes in him and puts their trust in him can find eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that we need to protect. That's the gospel that saved you. So if anybody tries to come against that, I'm telling you, it is not, it's from the pit of hell. Jesus and the gospel story is the centerpiece of the entire Bible. The Bible does not make sense without Jesus being the center of it. That's the full gospel. And the gospel, my friends, will be challenged. What I just shared, that will be challenged. It was challenged 2,000 years ago. It will, it's challenged today, and it will be challenged in the future. So Paul's urging Timothy, you got to hold on to this. you got to hold true to this because it is the gospel that saved you. Not only that, but the eternal scriptures that you were given that prove the gospel, that shared the gospel to you. Now, I'll, I'll speak to my millennials in, for a moment here. Where's my millennials at? Where are my millennials? Come on. You're, yeah? yeah? Some of you need to raise, put your hand down. You're not a millennial. But I think that Paul viewed Timothy like we view millennials. 
They're the next gen leader. They're, they're going to have their opportunity to lead. And, and, and here's the thing I learned about with millennials, and this is what I think, is, is they're, they're living in a different world than I lived in. They're going to live, they're going to have to be different leaders than the way I've been. Right? I understand that about them, but what they need to also understand is that they need to have the same foundation of truth that I have. And that's why it's important. So Paul is urging Timothy. He's saying, you need to hold on to this. I look at our millennial generation. I'm saying, man, I'm so proud of you. You're going to do great. You're going to do amazing. You have so much potential. But I also see that you're going to face so much more challenges than I ever had. Challenges that will that will be challenging you to hold on to truth, challenges that are going to be challenging you to hold on to this gospel, the gospel that saves, this infallible word of God. So I want to tell you, millennials, this next gen that's coming up, is that you need to trust the truth of God's word because it has been tested through time. Right? It has been tested through time. So in this book, 2 Timothy, he says you got to stay true to the gospel. Why is this so important? Because the gospel is strong enough to get you through all circumstances. Who could say amen to that? Right? It can get you through to any circumstances that you're going through. And as a believer, let me tell you, we will face some hard circumstances. He says there will be some terrible times, and it sounds bleak. But he has to say, you have to decide in your heart, Timothy. you got to decide in your heart. Paul was here. He said, you have to decide in your heart. Is it worth it? Do you believe this enough? Do you trust this enough that you know that it is worth the time of suffering that it may cause you? You have to know that you know that you know that it is worth it. And that's what he wants to get to. So let's keep reading. Verse 10, he says, You, however, know all my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? What happened there? You can read it in the Bible where all of a sudden he was, he was, the people stoned him, thought he was dead, left him. He woke up, dusted off, and went back in. That's what happened to him. This is a, man, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> the persecution he, I endured, he said, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Listen to this. He says, in fact, everyone, everybody say everyone, everyone. who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And everybody said. How about oh my or oh man? He says, everybody, everyone. Wait a minute, you're telling me that when I gave my life to Jesus, doesn't that mean that everybody's supposed to like me? My life is supposed to be better? This is what Jesus said. It's in Matthew 5, starting in verse 11. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets whom were well before you. Sometimes we like to gloss over those verses, right? I, I like reading it a little bit more direct. In the translation, uh, uh, message translation, he says, You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad then when that happens. Give it a cheer even. For though you don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. 
and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. It doesn't matter where you live. The Bible says that if you live a life as a follower of Jesus, you will be persecuted for it. Now, I understand very clearly that we live in a place right now in our country and part of this world where I don't know if we're the generation that's actually going to be given a choice to say you either denounce this faith or you're going to prison or you're going to die. But you better believe that here in 2019, that is happening on this globe. That there are places where this is a reality And let's not forget our brothers and sisters right now that are risking their lives for someone to bring them a Bible or to share their faith. Uh, That's just a reality. But Paul is reminding Timothy, he says, prepare yourself, prepare your church for the days because you will face persecution for your faith in Jesus. We have to know that we know that we know. We've got to be solid on what we know. We've got to be solid on what we believe. We have to get into the Holy Scriptures because it's going to be challenged. If it's not already, it will be. And we have to have this deep conviction about it, that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the life. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness for those that are perishing, but for us that are being saved, it is the power of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings Salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jews and then the Gentiles. That means all people. We have to believe this stuff. We have to be grounded. We have to have faith in it. We have to trust in this gospel, the gospel truth. Can't be ashamed. Why do we have to do it? Why is this so important? You got to think about this. There was many people who risked their lives, a sacrifice that were persecuted just so that you and I could have what we have today. This message of the gospel, this, uh, you know, what's amazing to me is that Paul's not telling Timothy, hey, you need, to, you need to help me out, bro. He says, no, he's not worried about self-preservation. He's worried about the preservation of the gospel, of the message. And what I love about, about Paul's heart is that he, he knows that he's passing this gospel, this beautiful gospel, to the next generation, and he's saying, you have to hold on to it. You got to believe it because it's going to matter to you. It's going to make a difference. And I was thinking, I was like, man, like how many people have walked through this stuff, worked through this stuff, went through so much pain and suffering so that you could have this opportunity to hear the gospel today? I don't know if you've ever taken time to research church history, some of the stories of these missionaries. You know, once upon a time, there was only one church in Federal Way. You know, once upon a time, there was, there was no gospel here in this region, and yet somebody was bold enough to trust God, to stick their neck out, to sacrifice their job, their career, maybe even their life, to come find this region, to stay and plant here and be Jesus to the people around and share the gospel. You know, once upon a time, we take it for granted, but once upon a time, that happened. Somebody gave a lot, sacrificed a lot so that you could have this opportunity to have this full gospel, to have this holy scripture. Sometimes we just, we just forget. Sometimes we just take for granted. I want to tell you that it's our job now to take what we have and to make sure that we pass it on to the next generation, that they'd be set up with this truth, that we would preserve it, that we would hold on to it, that we would teach them, that we would pass this on. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. He says, you watch me do it. You learn from me. This is what he says in verse 14. 
He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, what you believe, what, you, what you've seen, lived out, because you know from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And here's the thing we learned about Timothy. We learned that Timothy had a praying mama and a praying grandma, right, who knew Scripture, and they taught him Scriptures. They, they were the rare women who understood God's Word and were able to impart that into their son's life. What an amazing legacy. Here's the thing I heard about inheritance, right? We all, all good parents want to leave something for their, for their kids and, and, their, and the people when they pass on, right? That's what a good parent should want to do, right? Leave an inheritance. Inheritance is what you leave for your kids. Legacy is what you leave in your kids. And you need to work on what is the legacy that you're going to leave for the next generation. I'm not just talking about parents, okay? Because Paul wasn't married and he didn't have any kids, but he believed in the next generation so much that he was going to party the things that were in him to the next generation so that they could have the opportunities, they could have the solid foundation, that they could do farther or do more and go farther than he ever thought he could go. Are we setting ourselves up? Now, I think about legacy. I think about my grandma. Some of you guys have heard me tell the story. My grandma raised me until I was eight years old. And one thing I know that she left me a legacy that she gave me was that even from an early age, like when I would go to bed, she'd tuck us in and she'd always read a Bible story to us. We had that, that you, you might have grew up this way. Uh, she had the Bible story, uh, like the kids version, and it was like 10 volumes. Anybody remember those books? Right? She had those and we loved it, yeah. And, and she would always read it. And then I see grandma reading her Bible at the kitchen table every day. Different times of the day, her Bible's always open up. You know, uh, even to her last days, I remember uh, visiting her, and she wasn't doing well. Her eyesight was going, but you know what she was doing? She was trying to memorize as much scripture as possible. She had almost half the book of John memorized, and she would recite it to anybody and everyone. I loved just sitting by and just listening to her, and she'd have everything down. It was beautiful. And my mom, or my grandma, she never led a Bible study. She never preached a message. But I'm going to tell you, she instilled in me this love for God's word. And it's not only because I saw her read it. It's not only because I, I knew that it was important to her. But it was because I saw her live this out. You know, Paul goes on to say to Timothy, he says, You've known the scripture since you were a child. He says, which you are able to now make wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Listen to this. This is the context of everything here. He says, verse 16, he says, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that the servant of God may thoroughly equip for every good work. I want to ask you, who's watching you? Who's watching you? Who's the generation behind you that is seeing that the word of God is giving you life? that it encourages you? Did your family, did people around you have the story to say, hey, you know what? I believe that they go to the word of God for an answer. That when they need correcting and rebuking, man, they get to the word of God and they see it. That it is a standard on what you live by. Because I think that's important. I think that's what the, what the, the legacy that we can leave for the next generation. Amen? I want to I wanna close. This is my grandma's Bible, by the way. It's pretty awesome. I often go to it and look at her writing and Highlighting her scripture, you know, the scripture she uh, highlighted. We want to leave a legacy like that, don't we? Now I want to close with a story about a woman that you may have heard or may not have heard of. 
Her name is Corey Ten Boom. Anybody heard of her? What an amazing woman. Let me tell you, she is worth researching if you haven't heard her name before. The thing about Corey is that her and her family in Holland, they actually were part of, of helping, and they estimate about 800 Jewish people escaped the Holocaust. They opened their home. They actually built, like, false walls and kept people in there and helped them get away from the Nazis. It's pretty amazing. She actually wrote a book called The Hiding Place. There's a movie. You should check it out. But what's interesting to me about Corey is that in an interview, she talked about uh, uh, just where she got this heart against injustice, where she got this value to help others that were in need, that it didn't just happen overnight, but it was something that was instilled in her years ago. It actually started with her grandfather, William Ten Boom. Her grandfather, before he even had any kids, he prayed this prayer. And he said, God, he says, I am going to give my life to the gospel. And I'm asking you, God, that I, will you give me four generations of people that will feel the same way about this gospel? Well, you know what happened? Just a generation after him, one of his sons becomes a missionary and starts spreading the gospel in other parts of the world. The other son was Casper Ten Boom, which was actually the father of Corey. He was the guy that opened up his house and taught his daughters. You know, the, 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 the second generation was actually Corey and her sister Betsy. And they lived their lives many years helping these people come in and rescuing these, these Jews that were running from this Holocaust, this terrible thing. And eventually they end up getting caught and Betsy and Corey end up going to a concentration camp. And it was in that camp that a Bible got snuck in, and so Corey and her sister were doing services for the people in this concentration camp, giving Bible studies in this concentration camp. It's pretty amazing. Unfortunately, her sister Betsy passed away in this concentration camp. But 15 days after Betsy passed away, Corey was released. But she states this at her last words for her sister was this there was no pit so deep that God is not deeper still what an amazing faith right what a powerful legacy so then Corey gets released and she ends up going out she ends up becoming this amazing pastor preacher and teacher she writes a book and she's helping people the third generation of the ten booms there's one church elder and two pastors the fourth generation of Ten Booms yield, uh, had four missionaries, two pastors, and one of them started a Bible college. The ten, the ten Booms planted churches in Ireland, Holland, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, and the U.S. How many know that when you ask for something, God exceeds your expectations? The legacy of the Ten Booms goes beyond four generations. Right now, currently, they're in the fifth generation of Ten Booms, and there's 17 people that are in full-time ministry serving in three continents around the world. Right? All because this grandfather made this decision years ago to set up the next generation, to have a legacy to pass on, a legacy of faith, a legacy of trusting God, holding on to the gospel that saves. But they made a decision. I think there's some of you today that have a rich legacy, right? I mean, there's some of you guys that you, your grandfather, your parents, they had the faith. They passed that on to you. They loved Jesus. They taught you that. 
Some of you guys go four or five generations. Who are you? You guys have some generation stuff where you know that you grew up in a, in a household that way, right? And the only reason why you got what you have today is because they made a decision a long time ago that they were going to live a life that was faithful to the Lord, right? Now, some of you, you might hear something like this and you might get a little discouraged. You might be like me where you don't have a whole lot of faith background in your background, I mean, there's only like six of us in our family that are serving Jesus, and we Mexican, man. There's a lot of us. So we got a lot of work to do. I'm the only pastor. But I can hear something like this, and I don't get discouraged. I actually get more excited because it could start with me today. It could start right now that I could leave this legacy for the future, for generations. But where are you? Where are you? Are you intentional? Have you decided? Are you committed? Because we need to be. Can we stand? I want to tell you, friends, that I often go to the Lord with thanksgiving because I felt like, and I pray for, those faithful few that over 30 years ago came along with Mike and Claire and decided to plant a church here called Grace Church. I want you to know that what we experience here, what we experience now, is because of the sacrifice of, of many people. And they were determined to keep these doors open. They were continuing to spread the gospel both up front and in this community. And they did well because we received so much. But now the baton is passed to us. What will we do? Who will we be? What is important to us? Will we be caught up in the things and the distractions of the world? Or will we stay focused on the mission? And that is to pass on the gospel. Pass on this life of faith. And it all ends up back to what Paul said in the last chapter, in the middle of his phrase as he's closing out. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I've made it. The best thing he could say is that he, said he did everything he can to make sure that this was preserved, this gospel truth. So now it's our turn. Now it's our time. Will we think about who's going to be here 30 years from now? Will we start beginning to pray now and say, what can we do to set up this next generation that's going to lead the next generation to the next generation? Will you be so bold to ask God for generations this morning? Come on, join me as we pray. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for those people that you've put in our lives, God, in our past, people that lived this legacy out, that were faithful to your word till the end. They said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. God, I pray for those people right now, whether they're living or they passed on, God, but thank you for them. Thank you that they were examples to us. Thank you that they instilled things in us. Thank you that they shared the love of Christ to us and with us. God, we're so thankful. But God, now I ask, Lord, that you give us that same perseverance, that same desire, that same heart to want to do that for the next generation to want to do that, God, for what comes after us, God, that we would have this heart to say we're going to stay faithful because this is worth it, even if it means some suffering for the moment, but we know it's worth it in the end, that others will know the glory of heaven. So let that be instilled in our hearts, God. We thank you for what you're doing here at Grace Church. We thank you for the blessing that this place is, God, and we pray that it continues to be a blessing for many generations, God. We thank you for the people you surround us with. Lord, help us to learn to love each other, work with each other, love each other, and, and, and encourage each other to further the cause of Christ. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said.
Amen, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you for being here this morning. This is Life Group Week. We hope you guys are grouping up with your life groups, having a great time. God bless. See you next week. Woo! Is that today? Right now? Awesome. All right, go Huskies. <laughs>